For four months, we have been journeying with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke as he makes his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus tells us week after week what is required of us to be good disciples. And for four months, Jesus has continually surprised us. And we're still surprised to hear these stories, even though most of us have heard them for years. Even though it's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus walked among us reinforcing ideas that were prominent in the older Jewish law, humans continually think that wealth and prestige are indicators of holiness. Luke repeatedly tells us that this is not the case. Jesus condemns the wealthy who neglect people in need, and he repeatedly takes swipes at religious authorities who do the same. Levites, scribes, Pharisees, and priests. Jesus instead holds up those who are humble, the woman who bathes his feet with her tears, the persistent widow, and those who give away their possessions. Even though Jewish leaders forbade their people from interacting with Samaritans, Jesus praises the Samaritan who, cured, uh, who was cured of leprosy and thanked God, and the Samaritan who cared for the robbery victim on the road to Jericho. Today we hear another challenging example of humility. An example that have given, has given us one of the most frequently used prayers in Christianity, especially used by Eastern Christians. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on all of us who are sinners. I highly doubt that I will ever be invited to participate in a papal conclave. But if... Now, there were three people from Pittsburgh in the last conclave, but I don't think I'm going to be named a cardinal. Thank God. But if anyone ever asks me to suggest someone to be Pope, I have one particular friend in mind. He's a member of a Paulist parish somewhere else in the country. After being away from the church for quite a few years, he's making up for lost time. He's very involved in social justice ministry. He has been instrumental in the Landings Program, which invites lapsed and disaffected Catholics to consider coming back to the regular practice of their faith. He's a Paulist associate. Also, his wife is very organized. She'd clean up the Roman Curia in no time. Really? I thought I'd get a bigger laugh than that. <laughs> a few years ago, though, when this friend of mine signed up to visit hospital patients, he was nervous. While many hospital patients perk up when they have visitors, others understandably remain focused on their pain and sadness. What do you say to people who feel hopeless? How do you sit in that sadness with them? My buddy was tempted to provide these patients with simple pat answers about God's mercy or to trivialize their fears by making jokes. He knew these approaches weren't right, but he wasn't sure what he should do. I explained to him that the key is to meet people where they are. Many of us think of ourselves as problem solvers, but we cannot solve somebody's illness, except for the few doctors in the room. All we can do is take their hand and sit with them in the valley of darkness. We don't have the magic words to make people feel better, but we can let people know that they are not alone. We can lessen their fears by sharing their burdens, even if it's just for a few minutes and with the assurance of our prayers. Today's parable 
is about humility. The tax collector recognizes his humanity. In other words, he recognizes that he is mortal, imperfect, and sinful. He recognizes that he is not God. He recognizes that he is dependent on God. What's the problem with the prayer of the Pharisee? He gives thanksgiving to God, which is great. It's great that he fasts twice a week. It's great that he pays tithes on his entire income. And if you've been here for a few months, you know that I think it's fantastic that he's willing to sit in the front row of the assembly. (laughs) Nevertheless, something is obviously terribly wrong with his prayer. The Pharisee seems to be trying to deceive himself, and ironically, trying to deceive God into thinking that he is perfect and sinless. I think a lot of us have more in common with the Pharisee than we care to admit. We pretend as if we can stop God from knowing about our failings and inadequacies. But what kind of prayer life do we have if we don't bring our fears and our anxieties before God? What kind of relationship do we have with God if we're not honest with God about who we are? If we don't share the beautiful and the ugly of our lives with God? Prayer does not need to be a time to shake with fear and trembling. God already knows that we're not perfect. He created us that way. But when we acknowledge our sins and our imperfections, when we acknowledge our sense of inadequacy, when we acknowledge our foibles, when we acknowledge our feelings of anger, sadness, loneliness, envy, jealousy, and sexual arousal, when we bring these things out of the shadows and into the light of day, They no longer have power over us. God can replace our sense of shame with the relief of forgiveness. God can fill the hole in our hearts with love. What we once thought were idiosyncrasies become gifts with which we can bless the world. If you don't know how to open yourself up to God, there's a very easy way. Just pray the first 18 verses of Psalm 139. And if you've ever come to confession with me, more than likely that was your penance. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 18. It goes like this. Lord, you have probed me. You know me. You know when I sit and stand. You understand my thoughts from afar. You sift through my travels and my rest. With all my ways, you are familiar. Even before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it all. Behind and before you encircle me and rest your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, far too lofty for me to reach. Where can I go from your spirit, from your presence? Where can I flee? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in Sheol, there you are. If I take the wings of dawn and dwell beyond the sea, even there your hand guides me. Your right hand holds me fast. If I say, surely darkness shall hide me and night shall be my light, darkness is not dark for you, and night shines as the day. Darkness and light are but one. You formed my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My very self you know. My bones are not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, fashioned in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me unformed. In your book, all are written down. My days were shaped before one came to be. How precious to me are your designs, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sands. When I complete them, still you are with me. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 18. The more open we are with God about our inadequacies, the more we will know that God loves us as we are, where we are. That's the advice I gave to my friend who was uncomfortable visiting patients in the hospital. I encouraged him to be open with God about his discomfort. And you know what? He soon became much more comfortable taking communion to those who were sick. This weekend we officially inaugurate a ministry that's been quietly happening here for a while. Nine people in the parish now serve as extraordinary Eucharistic ministers for those who are sick, whether they are in hospitals, nursing homes, or at home. We thank them, and especially Jerry Carney, the organizer of this ministry, for having the patience of saints, as we have slowly gotten this ministry off the ground in the last two years. If you know someone who would like a Eucharistic minister to visit them who cannot come to church, please contact the office and we'll arrange for someone to visit.